Welcome to another episode of On The Mic, the brand new podcast show by Yahoo Singapore. If you're new to podcasts, you can use the player to start, pause and scroll through the recording. I'm your host, Dani Osman, and today I'll be continuing my series of interviews with candidates standing in the upcoming general election. My guest is Kumaran Pillay of the Progress Singapore Party. He's a new face on the political scene and will be contesting in Kobun Baru SMC. This interview was recorded on the 4th of July. Hi, Kumaran. Hi, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Um, it's earlier than I'm usually up, but um, I think it's still a good time to have a conversation. How are you? How's the campaign going? Good. I got up at 5 o'clock and wow. I've been getting up very early these days, 4 okay. to 5. And uh, usually at this hour, I'm out about um, doing my walkabouts and meeting people at Mayflower Market mm-hmm. or at the coffee shops or doing a door-to-door visit at Kabun Baru. So before we really jump into things, um, can I get you to tell me a bit about where you're contesting in? So I'm, I'm running in the uh, electoral ward of Kabun Baru. It's a single-member constituency. It used to be part of Nisun and before that, Ang Mokyo. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, uh, you know, along Ang Mokyo Avenue 4 and uh, Lower Pierce, Teachers Estate, Samawang Hills and Thompson Hills. Mm-hmm. And a couple of condominiums in that vicinity. It's the smallest electoral ward of 23,000 um, voters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it makes it fun because it, it's pretty compact and uh, I can walk the entire district in one day, actually. Wow, okay. Yeah. And is it daunting that you're contesting in a place that is known to be like a PAP stronghold? Um, not really, because um, it's quite an elderly population mm-hmm. and uh, the people are quite open and open to a minority candidate even in an SMC. Mm-hmm. So I've been talking to people on the ground. They've shared their concerns, some of the issues. Um, and because because it's an elderly population, the needs are quite different. Mm-hmm. And and it's pretty good that it's part of a SMC because then you can give focused attention to the needs of the elderly. If it's part of a GRC, then you know their needs are kind of diluted because... They have to look after five wards or four wards instead mm-hmm. of one. And how's the reception you've received from the residents of Kabun Baru? You know, Singaporeans are polite. So when I meet them, they greet me, they shake hands, mm-hmm. they, they promise that they're going to support me. Um, but I'll find out next Friday on voting <laughs> day. Okay. <laughs> yes. And what kind of issues are Kabun Baru residents facing right now? Okay, so, so when I was there the first couple of days at Mayflower Market, mm-hmm. one elderly gentleman um, came up to me quite angrily and he asked me if I knew the number of uh, staircases uh, around the market okay. at Hawker Center. And I mm-hmm. said, look, I, I don't. And I was quite uh, embarrassed that I didn't know that num- the, the figure. Mm-hmm. And uh, he went on to explain that, that there are a lot of elderly people on wheelchair mm-hmm. and they're finding it difficult to access the, the market because um, the, the, the hawker center sits on a slope, on right. a hill. Okay. And, and because of that, it's, it's very hard for people to come around, go up the hill mm-hmm. or come down the hill just to go and buy some breakfast or lunch. So he said that can can we be a bit more elderly friendly? So we need to review the inf- infrastructure and um, and cater for this particular community. 
And I read something in The Independent about the there being a rat issue. Is that right? Yes, um, that's um, uh, at Block 257, if okay. I recall correctly. Um, and that's just beside the car park and, and the block. There, there have been sightings of many rats, mm-hmm. and apparently they come out at night. And I actually took a picture of a dead rat in a in a dream. Oh, yes, I saw that. It was a big one. Yeah, that's a big one. Actually, so so I've seen um, I've seen the rats myself, mm-hmm. and it's something that the it's something that concerns the residents. Mm-hmm. They have informed the you know incumbent MP mm-hmm. Andrew Quack, and apparently the problem has not been resolved. Um, and and they're worried. Some of them, young parents, say that they can't let their kids uh, play at the playground because of the rat issue. Mm-hmm. So and the elderly are worried because you know they walk very slowly. Yeah. <laughs> if they are attacked by the the rat, they're not able to run, and you know they're afraid they might be bitten by that. So these are some of the concerns there. There's also a open patch of land mm-hmm. with, with uh, tall grass. Mm-hmm. And and that has caused a bit of a mosquito problem in the region, in that that vicinity. And uh, one lady came up to me and she was carrying a a toddler and she showed all the mosquito bites and she was almost in tears and she said, "Look, you know, it's not safe for us anymore and I'm afraid my my son will be down with dengue." Mm-hmm. So these are real concerns. While while you know we all talking about big. National issues yes. like PPF and you know, retirement and HDB lease decay. People on the ground have got real issues. I mean, some of them are falling through the, the economic cracks, so mm-hmm. to speak, falling off the cliff. And uh, these are issues that need to be resolved. And there is that's the underbelly of Singapore. I mean, that's that's what I call it. Mm-hmm. Um, Kabum has become the underbelly. Nobody talks about these issues. It's out of public eye, mm-hmm. and I'm glad I'm there because I'm I'm uh, being an ex journalist. I'm yes. curious to find out the the real story, the story behind the story. So, have you gotten any glimpses as to what the real story is in Kobun Baru? Have a lot of people there been severely affected by the pandemic? Yeah, some of them have lost their jobs. There was mm-hmm. this guy that I met. Um, he said he used to work in a travel agency, right? Um, and uh, yeah company has shut down and he's without a job and he's he's almost 55 years old mm-hmm. and he has some anxiety issues about being retrained and redeployed mm-hmm. um he's kind of reluctant um so i persuaded him that you know he has got young children so he needs to get back on his feet and get a job mm-hmm. but the real issue is where the job you know so the government has created 4,000 jobs, I believe, but and it says it will create another 100,000, but they can't wait a year. Right. They need the job right now. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the issue. And uh, earlier you mentioned that the district is largely um, older older folk. And, and I know like for the Progress Singapore Party, a lot of eyes on Dr. Tan and his social media game and all that. Is it the same for you, trying to reach out to an older voter base? Like, what's your strategy? Yeah, yeah so there's um, two distinct segments there. So we've got the private estate mm-hmm. of uh, Sambawang Hills, um, Thompson Hills, and, and Teacher's Estate. Right. Um, these are kind of well-heeled 
um, you know, middle class, upper middle class um, families. Mm -hmm. um, they are anglicized. They speak English. They, they go on the internet. They read stuff. They have a Facebook fans. Mm -hmm. uh, quite easy to reach them through social media. But, you know, like what they say, I can't uh, Facebook a handshake. I can't yes. Zoom a handshake. Mm -hmm. I still need to go down. Um, though I can't do uh, an actual handshake. handshake. Yeah. I need to do the Kong Si or, mm -hmm. you know, fist palm or something like that and uh, and and interact with them. So that's key to my strategy, meeting up with these people. We've got um, little influences, if I can say. These are ground influences, not mm -hmm. social influences. So um, some of them, um, you know, they, they bring their neighbors around and we meet up in the evenings and have a chat about issues, their concerns. Um, the concerns... Um, of residents at Sambawang Hills is quite different from the one at, you know, from at, at the HDB estate. Mm -hmm. um, so, whereas the HDB estate, I need to really dig in and talk to people because the elderly are not on Facebook. Mm -hmm. They they don't attend Zoom webinar, mm -hmm. and they depend on their children or grandchildren to tell them what's going on. Mm -hmm. But you know what? Um, because of Tanching, Dr. Tanching Bob, mm -hmm. um, and the party logo has become very popular. Mm -hmm. And they, there's kind of a brand recognition. You know, when I wear my red T-shirt, yes. uh, party tee, and I walk around Mayflower Market, people do recognize us. Mm -hmm. And um, even if they can't speak to me in English, they they say, what are, you know, the kind of stuff, oh, okay. and cheer me on. So okay. kind of interesting. Yeah, that's interesting because, uh, especially because PSP is a relatively new party as well, that there is already a brand recognition among an audience that is not necessarily online all the time. Yep. Okay, and yep. Um, one of the PSP slogans is, you deserve better. Um, what do you think gives you an edge or makes you better than your competitor, um, Henry Quack? <laughs> well, so you deserve better. Um uh, so we, we actually discussed a uh, party slogan. So, so we got a party slogan for mm. country for people, right? Yes, so that's, that's, right. That, that's what the party's tagline is. Yes. So for the campaign, we chose you deserve better. And mm -hmm. sometimes I add Singapore deserves better. Yes. Um, you deserve better uh, standards of living. Mm -hmm. You deserve better jobs, mm -hmm. uh, especially when it concerns yourself and, you know, competition from foreign talent. Mm -hmm. You deserve to get your CPF at 55. Mm -hmm. You deserve, so the list goes on. So there are a lot of things that uh, we deserve mm -hmm. and certainly we don't deserve a government that puts us through all sorts of means testing. Mm -hmm. um, so in that sense, even at the policy level, we think um, we can offer a more compassionate a more humane policy mm -hmm. uh, rather than means testing it or very right-leaning policies. Mm -hmm. As opposed to uh, how I stack up against Henry Quack. Mm -hmm. So I've heard a lot of uh, things about him. Mm -hmm. Apparently he has been uh, giving out oranges to people during residence during Chinese New Year. Mm -hmm. But you know what? Uh, what the people want is for their problems to be resolved, their, their, their voices to be heard, mm -hmm. and they want to be represented in Parliament. So some of the issues that they have brought up are not floated or not represented in Parliament. Right. 
So, so in that sense, I think uh, I might be in a better position, and I dare to speak up in Parliament. And if you had listened to our webinar last night, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that Dr. Tan Ching Bok has said is that we are not going to be, you know, controlled by the party whip, mm-hmm. and we are allowed to speak up uh, as representatives of the people. In that sense, uh, I think uh, that's what I bring to the table. I can represent my residents without being worried about what the party would think of it. Okay, and um, just stepping back a bit, um, could you tell us like how you became, came to be involved in politics and what led you to join PSP of all the parties? You know, I've been curious about politics for a long time now. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2006, I was watching the political rallies and so on. Mm-hmm. Even as young as 18 years old, I remember actually taking a bus down to UNOS Mm-hmm. to watch Francis Xiao and J.B. Jaratnam speak mm-hmm. at the rally. Okay. And I think Francis Xiao's speech was one of the most inspiring political speeches I've ever heard in Singapore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, I've been uh, acutely aware of what's happening, mm-hmm. but I only got to vote for the first time when I turned 41 in 2011. Right. That's mm-hmm. because there was a walkover, and mm-hmm. I was in pastoralist for the longest time. Mm-hmm. And because I studied overseas um, when I was much younger, um, and they took me off the electoral electoral role, mm-hmm. there was an election in 2006, but I realized that I wasn't uh, reinstated into the the role. Mm-hmm. So so I only got a vote in 2011 for the first time. Okay. And ever since then, I've been involved um, as an activist, a social activist, political activist, um, I volunteered. I was uh, a polling and counting agent for SDP in 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, that got me curious. I've been an editor at The Online Citizen in 2012 for mm-hmm. a year. And then I went on to start The Independent with PN Balji in 2013. Mm-hmm. And so, so even as a journalist, I was following political development in Singapore. But the question is, how did I turn myself from a journalist to a politician? Mm -hmm. It's kind of odd that I call myself a politician (laughs) because I've been on the other side (laughs) judging politicians. Um, So I met up with Dr. Tan in September last year. Mm -hmm. And we had a kind of a candid conversation. and, And one of the things he said is, you know, in order to have real change and real impact, we need to have a seat in parliament, a seat in the house. Mm-hmm. And only when we can go get into the house, deny PAP of the supermajority, mm-hmm. will there be real change and impact. And I thought about it for a while. I mean, I didn't decide immediately. I spoke to my wife, and wife needed some convincing, I, mean, I must confess. Mm-hmm. But eventually she came around and, and I decided that it's either now or never, you know, I'm, I'm already 49. If I don't step forward, I will probably will not in when I'm, in, when I'm 55 or 54, right. the next round. Mm-hmm. So I said, I'm going to do it, um, stand shoulder to shoulder with my peers in a party and take, take the risk and take the step forward. Do it for Singapore, for country, for people. And um, was it difficult to leave the independent behind? I mean, this is considered like your baby in a way, right? Yeah, it's my baby. So you know what? I've got a very good uh, editorial team mm-hmm. led by uh, led by Tan Baba, mm-hmm. 
um, and uh, news editors overnight, and I've got Jewel as well helping as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so pretty much I haven't seen of anything in the last couple of days. I mean, I haven't touched any editorial pieces. Mm-hmm. It's auto-run, right. um, and they're doing a fine job. Um, so it's it's time for me to step back. I'm proud that I created The Independent, mm-hmm. but it's also for me to start the next chapter in my life. Um, and um, I've got, I, I kind of miss it, mm-hmm. but I've got no regrets. I think story and what I've heard from the ground, the reception that I've been receiving mm-hmm. from the residents keeps me motivated. I'm inspired by the people of Kabumbabu. And and what do you th- uh, what have you brought from that world of journalism into this new one of politics? I mean, is there anything that you've learned in that past experience that you think will um, give you a competitive advantage, like in terms of how you connect to people and all this kind of thing? Yeah, uh, Danny. So you know, I said this at a press conference earlier. Mm-hmm. Nothing that I've done can ever prepare me for the strenuous journey ahead. Mm-hmm. You know, it's Singapore's political space. I think in any country. Um, it, it can be quite tricky. So I, I don't know when I'll get the next curveball, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so from PAP. And um, in that sense, yes, I need to be on my toes. I need to be vigilant. I need to look out for um, what's going to hit me. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Uh, as a journalist, I am trained to understand and probe and find out about issues. That has given me an edge. Mm-hmm. So... I'm able to go on the ground, find out about what is what is it that concerns them. I want to know the story of people living in the two-room flat in 257. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not just walking around and just giving my smiles and say, providing lip service. I document their story. Mm-hmm. I want to know the red problem. I know how, I want to know how long it is. It's, I want to know what has been done by the authorities or, or the town council mm-hmm. and why they haven't solved the problem. So because I was in the same newsroom with PN Balji and the greats of Tan Baba and PN Balji, mm-hmm. I know a little about investigative journalism and I've also been a Jefferson fellow. Yes. I've met some of the great best journalists in the region. Mm-hmm. And I've learned a lot about uh, getting the story and finding out and I've next step as a politician is not just listening to the story but in I need to now solve their problem so mm-hmm. that's the additional mile that I have to do and um, I'm confident um, at least I'm getting down to the root cause mm-hmm. and um, uh, and I've got good advisors around me to help me solve these issues so I guess in both instances in both lives um, you are involved in bringing like the truth to light uh. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay, and just to get your take, uh, what do you think of the current media scene in Singapore? I mean, over the years, like, has it become more vibrant with more voices around? Yeah. So not really. Um, we have got a few few media players. Mm-hmm. Um, TFC has been around for the longest time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mothership, the Independent, um, even all Singapore stuff. Uh, Wake up, Singapore. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have uh, the readers have a wide array of news outlets to choose from, and this is besides the traditional and bigger news outlets like Yahoo, Straits Times, and Chinese mm-hmm. Uh But 
I think more can be done um, because of the regulatory framework. It kind mm-hmm. of stifles smaller operators or people who want to come and start commenting on politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be improved, I think. And one of the issues um, that TOC has faced, and even independent in its early days, was uh, to get sufficient funds in mm-hmm. to get it off the ground. But, you know, we've been around for eight years now, mm-hmm. independent. So the business has grown organically and it is self-sustaining. Mm-hmm. Um, but it takes a long time to build a media business. I'm sure, um, yes. So any new entrant will need to have the staying power and stamina to last that long. So in that sense, yeah, it's, so I can't say it's vibrant. It's, mm-hmm. it's not not a friendly environment. It's a regulated environment. And do you think um, POFMA has had an impact on how people discuss politics online? Yeah, so, so I'd like to say, firstly, that... Uh, fake news or the proliferation of fake news is a problem. Mm -hmm. And as someone who has run a news organization before, I find that it adds a layer of cost uh, for us to vet the particular information and fact check it. Mm -hmm. Um, But but that's what newsrooms do anyway. But we need to be extra vigilant because people do it for various reasons. Right? Mm -hmm. So... So my recommendation to the government uh, and to the select committee back then was to have a self-regulatory framework. Mm-hmm. Media actors come together mm-hmm. and we can form our own council to determine what is fake and what is not and provide takedown orders based on that. Mm-hmm. But the government has chosen to go down the path of uh, you know, setting up their own POFMA office and, um, uh, you know, one of my editors, Stan Baba, has said that it's like an insect repellent. You know, mm-hmm. They go around spraying <laughs> and okay. they see, they see um, people who put up anything that's fake as insects or, or okay. pests and they just want to spray and pofma us. Um, that is that. And, mm-hmm. you know, the first person to be pofma in Singapore was uh, my party colleague, mm-hmm. Brad Boyer. And subsequently, it was Lin Tian. Lin Tian has got a collection of Mothman certificates now, I guess. <laughs> yes. um, so it seems like it's a political tool rather than uh, something that they want to do to regulate uh, the news industry. Mm-hmm. So the implementation of it is not very favorable to the media industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, the implementation of it makes it seem like as though there's only one news outlet that is factually correct and mm-hmm. and the rest of us are, are you know, peddling fake news. That is worrisome. And I think what we really need to do is to make sure that all media operators are treated as equal players in, in the sector mm-hmm. and not favor one over the other. I, I don't want to mention names, but I'm sure you know mm-hmm. which one I'm referring to. Yeah. Okay, and uh, just moving on to the other side of the um, your your career, uh, you also run a business that backs startups. Is that right? That's right. Okay, and I, but I also noticed that in your PSP bio, you said you're concerned about Singapore being hyper competitive. But to me, isn't competitive comp- competition a good thing for the startup industry? And how do you get to the level of the right level of competition? Mm. 
So actually quoting um, Alan Greenspan, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have an environment like Singapore mm-hmm. where you, you bring in this unfettered access um, or importation of foreign talent in Singapore, mm-hmm. right? That creates a hyper-competitive environment. Mm-hmm. Wages are depressed. Mm-hmm. And I've actually shared this story before. In, in 2001, uh, when my first startup failed, mm-hmm. I was out of job for a while. Mm-hmm. And I went for a couple of interviews and someone offered me a job for $800. And mm-hmm. typically that job would, you know, uh, employer would pay like five to six grand, mm-hmm. right? But I was offered $800 wow. because they said they can hire someone on an employment pass. Mm-hmm. And back in 2002, employment pass, uh, minimum payout was $2,000. So you could hire someone for $2,000 okay. on an employment pass. And they would hire someone at 2000 or declare some of their salaries at $2,000 mm-hmm. and only pay $800. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, if it is not regulated, and if you let people come and depress wages this way, mm-hmm. that hurts the people. It hurts the, the job seekers and employees and citizens of Singapore. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a hyper-competitive environment. Right. You know, uh, with, with startups, right? Like, like if you've read Bill Gates' The Road Ahead, mm-hmm. he wrote this book in 1995. Mm-hmm. He speaks about even his cleaners and his receptionists having a stake in his business. Mm-hmm. But why do they do that? They want these people to grow with the company. So when when Microsoft became a multi-billion-dollar enterprise, mm-hmm. everybody benefited from the business. Right. That's equitable. What we have in Singapore is hyper-competition, which which erodes value, which impoverishes people, Mm -hmm. which also denies us upward mobility. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the difference between the two, right? I'm all for startups. I'm all for startups. Um, Startups, founders, and entrepreneurs take a lot of risk. Um, which the community doesn't see or appreciate. Because mm-hmm. these people, 95 to 99% of startups fail. Okay. And they spend two to three years of their lives trying to build something. And when they, feel, when they fail, mm-hmm. two or three years later, they are not better off. Right. They, they, you know, there's opportunity costs if they had done a regular job, they would have earned much more. Mm-hmm. And often the founders end up uh, holding all the uh, cards at the end of the day, mm-hmm. which means he has to settle the the debt, the bills, and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, first person in the business, but also the last person to put the sharpest down. Mm-hmm. Um, there's risk involved, but you know what's ex- what's good about startups is when they succeed, they create jobs, mm-hmm. um, they add value to the to, to the community. Mm-hmm. They, it, there, there are knock-on effects, right? The, the multiplier effect. Of yes, definitely. Yes, that's no startup business. Mm-hmm. In that sense, yes, I support startup community, mm-hmm. but we need to be socially sustainable mm-hmm. and equitable, right. um, and not, you know, affect or impact negatively. Um, workers or job market, etc.
Yeah, I answered your question in a long way, but yes, I yes. Think I think I think what you're trying to say, um, from what I gather, what you're saying is that it's competition is not bad, but it shouldn't be at the expense of the society at large. Yeah. Okay, and as someone who works in with startups and all that, how badly has the sector been affected by the pandemic? What What are you seeing? Um. So, so investment appetite is a bit low. Mm-hmm. Um. But Singapore is a bit of an exception, right? So we've got diff- in startups, the entire ecosystem. There are incubators. There mm-hmm. are venture accelerators. Um. We. I, I'm a venture accelerator, so I, I take on board very early stage startups. Mm-hmm. Some of them at ideation stage, mm-hmm. and I help these founders build uh, their prototype or minimum viable product. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's where I am. And the second stage is seed uh, funding, mm-hmm. and Singapore government participates quite actively in funding. Mm-hmm. Also, private investors from the region. Some of them from the Middle East that that invest in, in seed funds, and then the, the Series A, Series B, and Series C, they are you know bigger pots, mm-hmm. um, upwards of one million, right? So right, companies right. that get funded for that. So we've seen the the very early uh, complete wipeout of companies in the ideation stage mm-hmm. uh, because it entails the highest risk. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, your rewards can be good, but you got to wait five years for a startup to mature before right. you can see money out of it, right? Mm-hmm. Or see your return. Uh, and because of this COVID, and, and because early stage startups are funded by business angels, mm-hmm. um, entrepreneurs like myself, you know, we can invest anything from fifty thousand to hundred thousand mm-hmm. um, dollars. That segment has been hardly hit. Mm-hmm. The the seed is has also seed funding has also been affected, mm-hmm. but there is still a lot of deals being done in Series A and so on. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Because if you follow the world news, mm-hmm. there has been there's a lot of liquidity in the market. I mm-hmm. mean, yes, in March there was a crunch, but eventually they released some money. Mm-hmm. There's, so there's a lot of liquidity in the market. Um. And so the larger companies or the more mature startups are being funded, but the early stage is affected. So you will feel the impact of it a couple of years down the road because right. um, the fewer companies in the, in the pipeline. So are you, are you also saying that uh, fewer people are taking the risk to start something new during this period? Is that right? Um, not necessarily. We've seen a good deal flow from the region. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's also country specific. Mm-hmm. In in Singapore, yes, uh, we have seen people who've lost their jobs turn to entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, entrepreneurship like politics is not instant noodles. Eh? You can yes. just boil water through noodles, yes. throw in a seasoning, and expect results. Mm-hmm. So, so some of these entrepreneurs need to be coached. They need to be trained mm-hmm. um, on various aspects of running a startup. Mm-hmm. Um, so it takes time. So I'm not sure if someone who's hard-pressed for cash, who needs to put food on the table, mm-hmm. uh, is best place to run a startup, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because they're competing 
for the same resource, right? Right. Tara founder needs to put money to to bootstrap the business, mm-hmm. and if he needs that money to put food on the table, you know, it's stuck between the devil and the deep blue sea. So tough choices there. Okay, and and what's your take on how the government's been handling the pandemic? Do you think it was um, right of them to call an election at this time? Certainly, I mean, the whole party has the same view on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Dr. Tan has spoken about this. Um, the government has taken a big risk mm-hmm. um, because the pandemic is not over yet. And in other countries, you've seen a resurgence. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, when that happens, um, the government has to be held responsible and need to answer a lot of tough questions. Mm-hmm. So the timing of it is not good, it's bad, actually. Mm-hmm. And they already have a mandate to mm-hmm. early next year, up to April 2021. So there's no need to rush. Mm-hmm. You could have let this um, epidemic and pandemic uh, be resolved first. The other thing is, even in the early stages, right, uh, there was one particular case, one Bangladeshi worker, um, he wasn't diagnosed early enough. And what what happened was this guy went to Mustafa and infected a whole bunch of them, which started the, the chain reaction of um, uh, foreign workers being infected and, and the dorm issue, right? Mm-hmm. So we had the massive numbers there. Um, so the government strategy was to uh, work on the same blueprint that they had for SARS. Mm-hmm. But uh, COVID-19 is a lot different. Mm-hmm. And the treatment and handling is it's also different, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there was a bit of a misstep there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could have been handled better. That particular case could have been handled better. Um, as a result, we've, we had to go on a lockdown, a circuit breaker. Mm-hmm. And that has caused billions in terms of losses, mm-hmm. um, both uh, financial losses and job losses. Mm-hmm. So so we, up to now, there is no information or uh, the government hasn't been f- uh, forthright about the job losses. Mm-hmm. How many Singaporeans have lost their jobs? So economists put it as high as 250,000. Mm-hmm. You know, and during the debate, the televised debate, Mm-hmm. Um, between the political parties, when mm-hmm. one of my party colleague Francis Yen said, "100 thousand PMAD jobs have mm-hmm. been lost," the government rebutted and said that it's not 100 thousand; it's, it's another number. Mm-hmm. But but why can't they release this number earlier? Mm-hmm. And maybe it's not 100 thousand PMAD jobs, but uh, could be others. Skilled jobs or semi-skilled jobs that have been lost, but mm-hmm. we need to know the exact numbers, which right. the government has been a bit coy about it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think and there's a need to be transparent about job losses mm-hmm. and the state of the economy. And just to uh, close things off, I usually ask my guests um, if they see any kind of silver lining to the pandemic. Do you think there's anything that Singapore could learn from this experience? Yeah, uh, I mean, in, instead of saying a silver lining, um, this is what I've said to some of the SMEs. There are three things that they can do. Mm-hmm. One is, um, for example, also being sector specific, 
if you're running an out, F&B outlet, mm-hmm. and you find that, uh, and there have been anecdotal stories of how some restaurants have done well during the outbreak. Mm-hmm. So they had a lot of people, you know, ordering through Food Panda, Deliveroo, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, or Grab Food. So they actually came out pretty well out of the circuit breaker. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're running an FMB outlet, maybe it's time to reconsider the model. Right. Instead of having a, a huge restaurant, maybe you have a centralized kitchen mm-hmm. and you can do food delivery services. So if you need to pivot the business, do it early, do it fast. Mm-hmm. Then in terms of other people, companies from the other sectors, mm-hmm. um, there's also an opportunity to work and collaborate with other companies in the region, mm-hmm. companies with lower cost structures. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we can outsource some of the work uh, and at the same time target uh, first-year markets, the Americas and the Europe, uh, Japan, mm-hmm. Hong Kong, Australia, um, we we are able to then uh, have a bit of a profit margin or better margin, and Singaporean workers then become uh, a rather international managers, right? Mm-hmm. Managing a workforce across ASEAN and also looking at entering uh, the larger markets of America and Europe. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, we we it's an opportunity for us to do cross border business. Mm-hmm. And also because of the trade war between U.S. and China, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of opportunity for us to actually tap in right. and pick up the pieces from there. Um, so this has got nothing to do with the COVID per se, but but these are things around them that they can do to. Um, if, you, if you like, it's a silver lining. So, mm-hmm. um, are you personally yeah. optimistic about how Singapore will pull through from all of this? No, actually, um, the the CEO of Emirates said that mm-hmm. it's it's going to be a U-shaped recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, tourism sector and travel and aviation is impacted, mm-hmm. um, and it will take them up to four years to recover. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mice, you know, the, the you know events in industry and entertainment they are affected, mm-hmm. and they're going to be shut for a while now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that accounts to almost about 20% of our GDP. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to see a slow recovery in these sectors. Mm-hmm. Some sectors may leapfrog, you know, maybe digital marketing, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I, I don't know what the net result is. You know, It's hard to predict. Mm-hmm. Um, we're crystal ball gazing at this stage. Right. Um, so it's how quickly the workforce can switch mm-hmm. and how quickly and um, nimble our businesses are in terms of switching mm-hmm. gears and moving on to uh, uh, digital services. It, it, is, it is going to be problematic uh-huh. uh, for, for the government in terms of uh, steering the economy. Mm-hmm. And, and I've said this before in, in other interviews, um, PAP is very technocratic. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at some of their policies, I will have to agree with with their approach. Mm-hmm. But things go wrong at the implementation level. You know, the government has spent so much money uh, on startups, mm-hmm. but there is an entrepreneurial deficit. Mm-hmm. Singaporeans are not stepping forward. So throwing money at the problem is 
not the solution, right? Right. So we need to inspire people, and we need leaders uh, to inspire the people and lead this country out of the crisis. Now, I think that's where we see a deficit in PAP. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the old guards have stepped down, mm-hmm. and the new ones are untested. Mm-hmm. They don't have track record as well. Mm-hmm. And so, so I'm not sure whether uh, they have the wherewithal to steer this economy out of the current crisis. Is, is that what you plan to do if you get your seat in parliament, to help speak up and direct the government in the, in the right way? To point well, them? I've... You know, as, as our uh, um, opposition MP, I will not be able to direct the government. Mm-hmm. I don't have executive powers. Yeah. But, um, you know, Advise that, that them, could be maybe. a bucket yeah. case, <laughs> bucket case uh, listed five years down the road, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, but, yeah, certainly to champion some of the issues. Um, so being a parliamentarian and speaking up in parliament is one of uh, the the items in my job scope, if I can put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is to represent the, the residents of Kabumbaru to solve the local issues. Mm-hmm. And, and thirdly, and not lastly, I mean, it's not last in terms of priority or anything like that, mm-hmm. but really to, to speak up for people in the larger community, mm-hmm. not just the residents, but could be the business community. Mm-hmm. And being a member of the Indian community, I will want to go and speak to some of um uh, uh, my fellow friends mm-hmm. and um, hear them out and maybe even champion some of their issues. So not just an MP for Kabun Baru, I might be an MP for all of Singapore, for mm-hmm. all Singaporeans. Well, that's good to know. Um, thank you very much, Kumaran, for taking the time to speak to me today. Yes, thank you for your call. And uh, it's a weekend and I need to go on my walkabout. Oh, good. And, uh, good luck with that. Thank you. Thank okay, and you uh, all the best in the coming uh, election. Thank you so much. And thanks for this interview. And that's it for another episode of On The Mic. We'll have more election-related content coming your way very soon, so do stay tuned. Until then, this is Danny Osman, wishing you a great week ahead. Hold up. 